Lord be with you. Reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. Jesus said to his disciples, Be watchful, be alert. Do not know when the time will come. It is like a man traveling abroad that leaves his home and places his servants in charge, each one with his own work, and orders the gatekeeper to be on watch. Watch, therefore. Not know when the Lord of the house is coming, whether in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or in the morning. May he not come suddenly to find you sleeping. Say to you, I say to all, watch. The gospel of the Lord. It is Advent, a time of preparing for the coming of the Lord. Now, you know, Jesus already came 2,000 years ago. Also, with archaeology and revealed in Scripture, Jesus comes again at the end of time in power and glory. And the time we live in right now is a time between the two comings of Christ. But the Lord's day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day. So between all the days, between the first and second coming of Christ, are the day of the Lord. Prophesied from the beginning and God would intervene in human history in a very definitive way to establish His kingdom. That's what we remember in Advent. It's the message of today is be ready for that coming. But if he's already here and he comes in this Eucharist, we should always be ready, right? But it is uh, a natural human response. Sometimes we fall away a little bit. And so the church gives us the season of Advent to renew our spiritual life so that we are spiritually awake, aware of, ready for God's presence in our life. Be it at the end of time, be it at the end of our lives, be it just in the circumstances of every day when God calls us in the presence of His call. He's loving and open to us. Here is my homily for the first Sunday of Advent. And now I'd like to turn to the teaching. Over the next four Sundays, we're going to go over the basics of the Mass. Today, we're going to look at the introductory rites. Next Sunday, we'll look at the Liturgy of the Word. And then for the third and fourth Sundays of Advent, we'll break up the Liturgy of the Eucharist to Part 1 and Part 2. Today, I want to talk about the introductory rites which consists of the entrance procession, the bowing at the altar, the kiss of the altar, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the greeting by the priest, the response of the people, the penitential rite, the glory to God, and the collect of the opening prayer. First, 
is the procession. The procession really that is meant to be a very joyful occasion that we spiritually join ourselves to. A couple weeks ago, we had a beautiful passage from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 25, where the maidens accompanied the bridegroom with horses at night and singing on the way to the wedding. That is a beautiful image of what the entrance procession really is. Another name for the Mass we'll get into later is the wedding feast of the Lamb. Jesus is the bridegroom, we, the church, are the bride, and in this Eucharist, in Jesus' life, which is truly present in this Eucharist, He gives of Himself totally, body, soul, and spirit, the most complete way that one can give themselves to another. Like married couples do when they consummate their union. And so, we are entering the wedding feast of the Lamb to His bride, the church. And so the procession is joyful. Another image that is helpful for me or beautiful is I had the privilege to visit our missions in Mexico many years ago. Father Ignatius Pinto, some of you may know him, was ministering there. And his job was throughout all of Sunday to go to about five or six different little pueblos. And he would spend the whole day driving the village to village. And whenever he got to the village, that's when they would have the mass. And so a person would be up in the bell tower looking for the truck for Father Ignatius. Far away, and when they saw that truck, they would ring the bell, and people would leave their houses from all over the city and the hills and success to the center of town where the church was. And we could see them from the truck in their festive garments or beautiful clothes, processing from all corners of the village to the church. It was a powerful image that just brings awe and joy. This is the event that everyone needs to come to join the procession. That's the idea of the entrance. Then at the altar, the priest and the ministers bow. The altar does represent Christ. Christ is sacrificed on this altar like he was sacrificed on the cross, and we would reverence the cross. So we reverence the altar, and then the priest comes and kisses the altar. I don't know if you ever noticed that. I'm sure you have. That is for two reasons. He is still reverencing the altar, which is representing Christ. But also, in every, almost every altar, or underneath our altar, are relics of saints. Our, you'll see if you ever come up here, our altar has the relics of St. Francis, St. Clare, St. Anthony of Padua, and St. Joseph of Cupertino, patron of our Western California province. And... Just like in the days of old, before Christianity was legal, the early Christians would, in hiding, go down to the catacombs and celebrate Mass on the tombs of the martyrs. And so this is reminiscent of that time in the church. And kissing the altar is because it is also tomb of the martyrs. We begin then with the sign of the cross. Many of us do that without really thinking what it's about, but it's really one of the oldest prayers of the church.
documented as early as the 140s. And it is a symbol of putting on the cross of Christ, of taking up the cross, of protecting yourself, or clothing you with Christ, yourself with Christ's victory. And it was often used for people who were traveling. And so the advice from the early church was whenever you leave the house, mark yourself with the sign of the cross. Another thing to think about is you're setting yourself apart from the world and allowing Christ to use you as a witness to Him in the world. Especially powerful prayer for parents who leave their children to protect them, to bless them with on the forehead the sign of the cross. The next thing the priest does, and I did it this morning, is a very simple greeting the Lord be with you. Some of you answered already. <laughs> there are other formulas, and I often use the Trinitarian one that comes from the second letter of St. Paul to the Corinthians. The love of God, the love of God, But the greeting, the Lord be with you, that sounds so simple we probably never think of that, do we? It is a profound scriptural greeting, especially throughout the Old Testament. Whenever God appeared to his servants to give them a sacred call or mission, his first words, God's first words, the angel's first words, were always, the Lord is with you. you. Go back to the book of Genesis, to Isaac, Abraham's son, right? I shall be with you and bless you. To Jacob, Isaac's son, Genesis chapter 28, be sure I am with you. I shall keep you safe wherever you go. In Exodus, to Moses, when Moses said, Lord, who am I that I should lead your people? God responds, I will be with you. Joshua, successor of Moses, God says, I shall be with you as I was with Moses. To King David in 2 Samuel, to the prophet Nathan, God is with you. To Jeremiah, the prophet who was only just a child. of us has a mission and a call. And sometimes we can be afraid or broken or not sure. But God is with us. It's meant to reassure us and to let us know that when two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, God is with us. And then the response, the Lord is with you and also and with your spirit. That is a new translation, right, that uh, many people have talked about. It used to be a simple and also with you. But the new translation echoes more uh, literally the Latin, but it's also to indicate to us that this is not just a 
common greeting among humans that you would meet and have on the street. Like, oh, have a good day, and you too. No, Lord is with you is a scriptural acknowledgement and prayer that we are powerfully blessed because God is with us. And then the response, and with your spirit, is pretty characteristic of the writings of St. Paul, but it indicates that it is not the priest who is presiding. By virtue of the ordination, it is Christ presiding. And so we are acknowledging that this isn't about the priest. This is about Christ who presides in his people and with your spirit. Next comes the penitential rite. You know, throughout Scripture in the Old Testament, that when people came into God's presence, they were warned that that could be death. The idea being that God is so powerful, God is so pure, that we, if we are sinful, come into God's presence, that they are not compatible. And so, also, St. Peter, when he first encountered and recognized Jesus as the Lord in Luke chapter 5, the first thing he said is, Lord, get away from me, I'm a sinful man. When we come into the presence of the Lord like we truly do at the Mass, and as St. Paul in the first letter of Corinthians advises us before we receive the Eucharist to examine ourselves and acknowledge our sins. So we do that at the beginning of Mass. So as to prepare ourselves to receive these sacred mysteries, let us call to mind our sins. And we pause and we think about them and we acknowledge them and ask for God's forgiveness. And then the priest responds with what is absolution. May Almighty God bless us, protect us from evil, and bring us to life everlasting. This really is confession. Church teachers used to go to confession at least once a year, but it's a practice we should go more often. But, in order to receive the Eucharist, we do confess our sins and receive the absolution of the priest. And the church teaches that unless you have serious sin, this is the forgiveness of all your sins and prepares you to receive the Eucharist. If you do have serious sins, the church recommends you do go to confession. You do not receive, or else if you do receive, have the full intention and follow through to go to confession shortly thereafter. But serious sins should be confessed. Next, we have the Lord have mercy, or in the Greek, Kyrie Leison. You know, the Mass is 2,000 years old, and part of our tradition is to continue to have some of the sacred ancient languages. Although recently we switched from Latin, not so recently, 50 years, to the vernacular, we still often have Latin in the Mass. The Agnus Dei, the Sanctus, the Glory to God, and Excelsis. Hebrew, um, we also have Amen, Hallelujah, but Kyrie Eleison is Greek. You know, Greek was the official language of the early church before Latin was the official language. The New Testament is written mostly in Greek and some Aramaic, and so we preserve that ancient language in the church. 
glory to God in the highest comes next. This is a time when we're praising God. That's our greatest thing we can do is to praise and thank God. The words glory to God in the highest are the words of the angels at the birth of Jesus. You know that every Mass is a Christmas. Jesus becomes truly present in our world in the Eucharist. It is a perpetuation of the Incarnation. And this part of the Mass recognizes that this is the Christmas, the words of the angels. Every Mass is also an Easter, a Good Friday, and a Resurrection. And later in the Mass, we sing Hosanna in the Highest, which was in Scripture when Christ came into Jerusalem. The glory to God in the highest begins with the words of the angels. And then it is a mosaic of other titles of God used throughout Scripture. And so when we're praising God with the glory to high, we are joining with all the angels. We are joining with the saints and the church from all ages and praising God. And we're praising God not for what God has done, but for who God is. Finally, the calling. The priest says, let us pray. And then there is a call. Now, I know what I used to think, maybe many of you think, while there's a pause, people start looking at the altar servers and say, why don't they bring the book over? What's taking so long? Don't they know they're supposed to bring the book over? The pause is intended so that a time of silent prayer, each of us are doing Right? The week past has probably brought many different difficulties or joy. And there are many things going on in our world. And so in that brief period, we just lay before the Lord everything on our hearts that we'd like to pray for in this mass. And then when the priest speaks, again speaking in the words or the person of Christ, the word, the prayer is called the collect because it collects all our prayers and offers them to God. Jesus Christ intercedes at the right hand of God for us. And then we say, Amen. And prepare ourselves then and sit down to receive and listen to the liturgy of the Word. We'll talk more about the liturgy of the Word.